starting his own company, Eugene served as the corporate vice president and manager of the African-American market unit within the agency division of New York Life Insurance Company, a unit that he created. For 17 years, he was responsible for developing and executing the company's national targeted recruiting, sales and marketing campaigns within the African-American community. He also oversaw and supported the development, retention, and promotion of more than 1,500 African-American market agents and more than 40 African-American managers. In 2011, Eugene developed and initiated the $50 billion empowerment plan, a five-year initiative to accumulate $50 billion of enforced life insurance intended to provide significant family and business protection, transfer future income, and create a strong and sustainable intergenerational wealth stream within African-American families, businesses, institutions, and organizations. In October 2017, Eugene and his team crossed the $50 billion milestone. Eugene has been featured in national media and industry publications, including the New York Times, ABC News, and Black Enterprise Magazine. He has been presented with numerous city and state proclamations. He received the Business Mover and Shaker Award from New Visions and Business Magazine and the Conference of African American Financial Professionals also awarded him with their Leadership and Excellence Award in 2018. Eugene earned his MBA from NYU Stern School of Business and his BA in Finance from Florida International University. He and his family live in New York City. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> I really did say you didn't have to read all that, but I appreciate that you did. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Black History Month. It truly is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today on another snowy day here in the Northeast. All I could say is enough already, right? Um, but at least we're not having what they're experiencing down in Texas. And so uh, my heart goes out to those families that are being impacted, wishing them the best. And I guess we should all be happy that Ted Cruz is coming back from Cancun to take care of them. Just, just say, <laughs> but uh, appreciate the invitation to be here with you, Charles. Um, and thank you for you know, reminding me of, of the years that we did connect at the American College. And of course, we've got another great connection through your wonderful wife. Uh, so shout out to her and because uh, we worked for many years together at New York Life. And so with that said, let me move into this conversation and piggyback on where you went with this, this LIMRA study, because I, uh, I think not only is there an interest in purchasing, but we've got to present a reason and a different way of why we need to own it and not just own burial policies in the black community like so many believe that life insurance is. So what I want to share with you is how we can build wealth to overcome the health, wealth, and social justice crisis in our community. So just, you know, bringing it back to the conversation we just had, um, I'm known uh, across the life insurance industry uh, by, by some and hopefully by many as the man with a $50 billion empowerment plan. Um, and this was from the, the initiative that I created, as mentioned, leading 1,500 black financial advisors uh, at New York Life. And, and over the six and a half year period, we were able to amass $50 billion of life insurance, put it in force by the black agents for the black community. And, and the, the real intention here was to provide knowledge to families about the tool of life insurance and other financial tools and how we can use it differently, right? To, to create wealth, intergenerational wealth for ourselves. And the, and the goal I set out was to get at least 200,000 African-Americans out, out of 43 million to see the value of owning at least $250,000 of insurance, right? Not that that's a, the, the end goal uh, fixed number, 
but it's a starting point. It's not a burial policy for 10000 It's not a $50,000 policy. It's something that's going to actually create and leave something of significance for the, for the next generation. And 200,000 people doing that, having $250,000 of insurance in place will create $50 billion of protection and tax-free future income. But as long as we keep those policies in force, it's going to transfer over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And think about it. What can't the families, the friends, and businesses of 200,000 people do with $50 billion at some point in the future? So I want you to think about this not only individually for families, but think about what we could do with that collectively as a community. That initiative also drove recruiting and agent retention and cases and premiums and policy persistency, morale and camaraderie for the company. Right. And, and, and I, I like to share that because I think that was one of the, 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 the best examples of success of diversity, inclusion and community engagement for a company. Right. So you had the agents finding a purpose now, a greater purpose in themselves that, to make commissions. We, we were empowering families to the tune of billions of dollars. That was something to get up every day and do. Right. That the company benefited selling 50 billion dollars of insurance. The retention of the agency went up. The policy persistency went up. You think about the benefits for the company itself. And of course, as this continues to play out, the community benefits. So far, almost a billion dollars has been paid out in death claims from the policies put on, on the books by those agents. We, we've actually created millionaire black families, not, not because they won the lottery ticket by chance, but because somebody sat down and did proper financial planning. Right? They tried to protect their income. They tried to make sure that they would create an inheritance for their family. That's been the power of this tool right here and the concept that we, we put forward and have moved to the next level. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So when I prepared for the meeting, I, I thought of the, 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 the Bible verse, write the vision and make it plain. Right. And so with that, I just want to say four of the things that came to mind about what I'd like for you to start to take away. That the, the conversation here is about increasing our ability as individuals and families and as communities to recover from the unexpected. That, that's really what these agents on the line are, are trying to help you do every day. It's about ensuring the stability of the black middle class. I've noticed this last month, a couple of stories have come out, one by Vox, V-O-X, about the mirage of the black middle class. Folks seem like they, they've, they've made some progress and they get there and they slip back out. We don't have the stability to stay there, make sure that the, we can be there for generations to come. I need to continue to talk about racial, closing the racial wealth gap. And then to do that, like this is the limerick step, we've got to provide knowledge for folks in the way of creating wealth and transferring wealth for themselves. So I think we all know that uh, as we look closer at this, that the, the, the um, last year uh, put right in front of us that the disparities in America um, from the three crises that, that were in front of us, right? You had the health crisis, brought on by coronavirus. You had the economic crisis and that because of the communities, the businesses and everyday life was shut down. And then you had the social justice crisis. Of course, that was you know brought on building over many years, but but really the, the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey just, just pushed it to the, the limit that, that so much has, has created change in the community, in our country, right? And around this, as, as I look deeper, uh, I believe that the disparity in experience an impact and ability to recover for families across the nation varied according to their household economics and their wealth accumulation. What did you have the bank to help you get through this? 
what what access did you have to to your your equity in your home your 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 uh, 401k the life insurance but where could you pull from right in the way of of making sure that you in the way of health if you had the, that we were offsetting the challenges that we have there so when you think about this the struggles of, of lack of insurance and access to health care and the way of underlying conditions and food insecurity and front, being frontline workers, I believe the, the, the root cause of these issues still stem back to economics. When you look at the impact of the economic downturn, who was furloughed? Who was laid off? Who wasn't able to work from home, right? Who were the majority of mortgage delays? The, the, how many black businesses didn't get access or, or get payout from the PPP? I don't know that we've circled back to find out what, what was wrong in that system. That, that we could, didn't get access to that, such to the point that 41% were, were projected to close permanently. And of course, when you look at the social justice, the social inequality, the social biases, the ongoing so racist policies, and systemic racism, that still for me all come back down to the root cause being economics. So in that we say we got to fix the system, I say we also must focus on financial stability and economic opportunity. So how do we get ahead? How do we create change in this? I think this is going to be a two-part strategy to, to fix the 400 years that got us here to this point. Right? We, we didn't just wake up today and say, you know, that, that, you know, what's wrong with the black folks that they can't get themselves together? That, that you think about 246 years of slavery. That's 20, 12 generations where education was, was withheld. Right? There was no wealth-building opportunity. You were the property and the wealth builder for someone else. Right? Families were broken apart. The, the, the religion was taken away. Right? There, was, there was no, after 246, putting that back together. And even in the 100 years that, that, that followed, right, as folks were, black folks were resilient and they figured out how to do for themselves and started to even achieve, like with Black Wall Street, that there were purposeful burning and bombing of those things, lynchings, terrorism, to make sure that it wasn't the advancements in that. And even over these last 60 years, that the struggles and the progress, there was a great clip this morning on CBS. I don't know if you saw that. They talked about home ownership disparities. And they talked about how the GI Bill, when they showed some, some areas here up, up north, how the, the, the soldiers that came back, those who were able to have access to, to home, home loans and education, 98% of that went to whites only. And so, so just thinking about the head start, Soldiers who fought on the same line. They, they, we're not comparing to, to going back to, to the ghettos. Now. We're talking about people in line, standing next to each other, weren't given the same opportunities. So to fix that, I, I believe that you know we have to, to figure out ways to, to reconcile and remediate and pay reparations for the past to bring some parts of the black community in line. Right? And, and I'm encouraged now that you know that there are those conversations being had, especially with the new administration. When we think about, you know, the uh, affordable housing and business tax incentives and spending on education, maybe we'll have some progress there. But my bottom point here is that that's still dependent on the actions of others, right? On the other side, I believe that we've got to take on more personal action for ourselves in the black community. And by that, I mean steering our $1.4 trillion of annual earned income and continuing to leverage our 3% of the company, country's assets that we already own. With this now, I believe that if we start steering into more home ownership, business ownership, creating more inheritance that which we can do and which I'll talk more about, I think these are things that we can control, right? And we can make an impact on. So my end point here is that this is not either or, 
It's not just waiting around for a, a reparations check. And it's not it's continuing to say you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This has to be a both-and type scenario. And so this personal action space, space is, is what really drives me, gets me up, gets me fired up every day, right? Especially from the position that I held at New York Life Insurance for 17 years. It was a unique position. Is it in this cultural marketing group, watching what other races, religions, and ethnic groups were doing with financial tools and strategies to create wealth and, and to make a better future for themselves and their families. And that really is what inspired me after I decided to leave, after we hit the $50 billion campaign, to put this, these notes, these, these ideas, these learnings into a book, to have a reference point that we could go back to, right? That I could share that, that you know, th these are things that I didn't even know. And that, that I took on for myself and, and, and want others to, to, to do the same. And so I want to talk from, from four of these, these chapters today, uh, in ways of what I think we can do for ourselves, what we can do for our family, and what we can do together for our community to, move, to create wealth and move to the next generation, to move to the next level. Okay, so rule number one, rule number two, six and seven, they're all important. And so I don't want to, to, to think that this is all there is. And I'm only talking about life insurance in the book. You know, heavily of what I'm going to say today is, is in around the insurance piece. But there's so much more that we need to learn, especially teach our children. I think Lisa was on the line earlier. She said, I wish I'd have received this information when I was younger. But at least I could pass it on to my 25-year-old son. We've got four kids in our house, two teens, two preteens. Right? Distracted with social media, right? They, that's bombarded every day. The, they see what the athletes and the entertainers are telling them to do, right? You, you got the reality TV. We've got to get into them earlier on. And, and so this is what, I, is what I think is the framework that we can uh, build from. So the book is a shameless plug. The book is available on Amazon. If you go to eugenemitchell.com, you can buy it and I'll sign and send a copy to you. And uh, I can, there's also both discounts on my website, eugenemitchell.com. So let me jump in here. I think an important part of, of rule number one, know yourself, know your worth is where I think we got to start in, in our conversation building, right? Because so, so before we even start talking about wealth building and legacy planning strategies or financial tools, I think we have to first learn to, to value and appreciate the biggest asset that we have in our lives, which is ourselves, right? See, see I believe that this is a missing point for so many in our community, right? By valuing and appreciating our biggest asset ourselves, it sets up how you see the future for your life and or you don't, right? I was talking to folks in Boston yesterday, Alonzo was on the line, that there was a study done that said the, the average net worth of a black family in Boston is $8. Think about, if somebody tells you that's all your value is worth to yourself in the world, think about the, the, the hopes, the dreams, and the aspirations that are crushed. This is such a, a, a diminished and, and a damning point to work from. So, so I wanted to build this up to think about, you know, how do we look at ourselves, value ourselves and appreciate ourselves differently. And so with that, I'm going to go into, I believe it's time to clearly evolve the conversations that we've been having over the years. I talked about a 400 year history back in the 60s now, right? That, that they were still marching saying, recognize me, I am a man. Jesse Jackson had the, the, the chant, you know, I am somebody. Holy cow. They just recognize me as somebody. It's sad to say 50 years later, after the, the, the shooting of, of, of Trayvon Martin, that the Black Lives Matter movement had to be inspired. But we're still the same Black Lives Matter. 
I say that it's time that we have to know that we matter and elevate this conversation to talk about what is a black life worth, right? Because I think, you know, that, that is, is where we can really start to, to create value and, 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 and a different future for ourselves and our, and our community, right? And, 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 and to uh, um, put aside some of the things that I think uh, become the misguided notions for ourselves and our community. As a black man, nobody had ever told me my value and my worth. I'd always believed them, you know, it had to do with maybe the title that I have on my job. That's what separates me. And or the, the, the assets that I can show and flash, right? The, the car I drive, the clothes I wear, the jewelry, the bags, the shoes. And so many of us are misguided to believe that our value and our worth are wrapped up in these, these symbols of wealth, which are, are, as you know, depreciating assets. So you never keep up, because or you never catch up, you never stay ahead because there's always going to be another season of clothes. There's always going to be a new round of cards. You're associating yourself, not even for anything else, but 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 be, uh, tying it to val- invaluable assets, right? So so that was a big part of what I think we have to take away from this. But I think also part in this story is is, is about hearing our own economic value. It, it gives us a new way to think of ourselves and our path in life. And so here's what I want to tell you, because like I said, I hadn't thought about this, but but. From that company that I worked at for 17 years, they very early on told me that I was worth $2.5 million. Holy cow, where did they come from? So here's, here's how this played out. I started after getting my MBA at NYU uh, in a leadership development program at New York Life. A two-year program, I rotated through three different departments. When I finished, I got promoted to an assistant vice president. I got a letter in the inter-office mail shortly after that said, congratulations on your promotion. As a new appointed officer of the company, we want to take out, take out a life insurance policy for $2.5 million on your life to benefit the retirement fund of New York Life. To us, I said, say what? Right. So, so what, 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 what is this? So, so I asked some folks around me. They said, oh, oh that's common practice here. right? It's called corporate-owned life insurance, Coley. Banks do it. Bank-owned life insurance. They do it. Boley. Uh, and so I said, I've never heard of it. Well, they said, well, there's, you know, different things that uh, as you start to move up in the company, they're going to give you different benefits. They're going to give you different access, deferred compensation, the likes. But they also do things for themselves and invest in you in different ways as well. This tool, you, you might have heard it in, in a small company called like a, a key man policy. Small company or in a church, they'll take out a key man policy in case anything happens to the key employee. The company wouldn't have to, to figure out how to, to, to start from scratch to, to replace that person. They'd be set up to figure out how you know, to, to continue business and to continue prog- progressing until they bring somebody else in. So I said, well, I get the concept now of the key man policy, tying it to the Coley. But where does this $2.5 million come from? To which they said, well, that's what the company values you at. I said, I don't get it. They said, well, that's what you're worth to them for the work that you do. I said, I still don't get it. Well, there's different ways to calculate your value and your worth. And the easiest way to do it is to do a current value of your future earnings. So here you are, 30 years old, making $100,000 a year. We expect you to work here another 25 years. What's $100,000 a year for 25 years? $2.5 million. And that's without raises, without bonuses, without promotions, anything in your deferred compensation. That's just the base of what they will pay you. So you're not going to receive that all at one time, but that's a lump sum, and they're tying it to your value to them. And they say, well, why, what, what do you mean you've never heard of this or, or thought of this before? 
right? So, so haven't you thought about what you're going to do in the way of building and leveraging and passing on that $2.5 million? To which I said, no. I said, well, what do you mean? Have you ever thought about protecting that $2.5 million? What if you don't make it home tomorrow? What happens to your family? Won't they be out $2.5 million? Will your wife have to, to figure out how to, to, to get by? Will they have to sell the house? Do the kids not go to the colleges that you wanted them to? Will she have to find somebody else to take care of her? I said, I never thought about it. And then I became extra sad because I realized that the company valued me more than I valued myself. Wow. And this is me with, uh, I got finance degrees. I, I, you know, this is what I've done in life. And nobody had ever positioned it to me like this. And this is what I believe is missing for many in our community. So here's a simple life value calculation. Your current salary times the number of years left to retirement equals your present value of future earnings. Look at a 30-year-old making 75000 a year. That's $2.75 million that they're going to make over their life. You talk to a 45-year-old client making 50000 a year. That's $1.1 million they're still going to make before they retire. Looking at it this way, we can value ourselves as producers and contributors and builders in life rather than consumers. See, like I said, that consumer mindset, all we're doing is giving away our wealth. We're making somebody else rich. We're becoming known as the world's greatest consumer class. We've got to get away from that. The other part to this, I think, is that when you think of it this way, it shows that we have real economic significance. And that is important because I believe the loss of another black man or a black woman at the hands of the police violence or at the hands of the disease like COVID-19, it only, or not only impacts us beyond the physical and the physical, it impacts us economically. So for me, that's what was missing when, when George Floyd was taken away. If he was making 50000 a year, I'm sure he was going to work another 20 years. That's a million dollars that was taken away from his family. This is a new way to think about ourselves and our value in the world. You guys get where I'm going with this? Get some nods? See if you're all with me? Okay. Here's the other part to this. So when you start thinking about me being a million-dollar asset to myself and my family, then how should I take care of a million-dollar asset? Right? If I had a million-dollar car, a million-dollar house, heck, a million-dollar racehorse that I knew I could put out there and make money every week for me, how much and how, you know, much what I put towards thinking about to take care of those things. The, the car, right? I would have it in the garage. I'd have the alarm. I'd go to the mall and park out in the middle of nowhere so nobody could touch my million-dollar car. If I had a million-dollar house, I'd have the same thing, the burglar alarm, right? The, 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 the fence around it. I may live in one of those communities that my cousins have to, to, to check in before they, they, you know, so before they come over so that I could decide if I want to let them in. How about a million-dollar racehorse? Would I allow it to engage in unhealthy and unsafe behaviors like eating fried food, smoking and drinking in excess? Come on now. How about not exercising or going to the vet on regular visits? You see, for each of these other million dollar assets that I own, I believe that I, we would take care of them a lot better than we do take care of ourselves. All right, so this is a big part about mindset. I think a big part of the, the wealth creation conversation comes back to mindset. So I want to sort of close this first chapter by saying, you know what, that we've got to take on a better diet. What can we do for ourselves? We can take on a better diet. We can exercise, go for regular health checkups, right? We need to address our underlying conditions. For, for how long do we say, you know what, yeah, we got obesity in my family. 
you know, we, we got hypertension. You know what? We, we got the sugar. We, you know, we got, we got diabetes, but, but we act like it's just a thing that comes. COVID made us realize how significant this is. Now companies that the world, your health says there's a comorbidity. This puts you at a higher class class and uh, propensity to, to pass away because of this. If you value yourself as a million dollar asset, asset should, should you engage in reckless behavior, right? Don't you have too much to lose? I'm a million dollar asset, I got too much to lose to, to hang out with you clowns and do that craziness. How about being more selective of my life partners? If I had a million dollar race horse, would I allow it to hang out and mate with a donkey down the street? I'm just saying. <laughs> These are things that we need to think about now. But raising expectations for my children. Right? Don't I care more about who their friends are? Right? Who they're hanging out with? Who they're going to marry? Aren't I going to raise my expectations for them? As that if I'm going to earn $2.5 million and, and I'm going to pass on significant amounts of, of inheritance to you and you're going to earn millions in your lifetime, should we have higher expectations about what you're going to do in life? Then lastly, about raising community expectations. As I see another black man passing, another one still opening a new business, another one struggling, shouldn't I care more, take care of them more as million dollar assets in the world? So this is the first part. Before we even talked about insurance or any other financial product, this is about what we can do for ourselves mentally to get in the right space. The second part I'm going to go into, rule number two, insure yourself to ensure the future. So now you know you're your greatest asset in life. What is the first thing you would do if you had a car, a house, or a horse named, uh, worth a million? You'd insure them, right? And not, not for the amount of burial, or, or you know, just put them in the ground, or, or, or $50,000 policy, you want true replacement value. If your house burns down, do you want a single wide trailer? No, you want a million dollars back, right? If, you, if, if your car gets in an accident, right? Do, do, do you want the, the, the uh, what's the, uh, the, the, the baby Hyundai? You want a million dollar car back. If you don't make it home, what should your family get? Shouldn't it be a million dollars? So this is what I want us to realize and understand and that's what I said about that, that working in that group. What I was watching, what other folks are using these tools. That so many of us say, oh, well, I know what life insurance is. You know, I know what a stock is. Great, great. But do you understand how other folks are using it differently than you, especially to get ahead? So what I'm sharing is life insurance can be an income protection and wealth building asset for us, right? And it also enhances and ensures your estate and your legacy. Think build and not bills when these financial advisors are talking to you about life insurance. Got a quick chart here in the, in the book. I talk about uh, the path to wealth is a building block process, right? So you've got to have a foundation and then accumulate and then preserve it. And then, then you can talk about distributing it. Protect, plan, preserve, pass along is the way I call it. Protection, you need to talk about protecting what you earn, what you own, what you owe, and those you love. Before you jump into Tesla stock, or or somebody asked last night Bitcoin, right? Or uh, this, uh, the uh, what's it? The um, GameStop stock, right? Do, do you have some of these pieces in place? Do you have your foundation in place? Because you know, anyway, there's more in the book about this. You get where I'm going. For those of you online, I said the two main things that there's lots in it. There's lots in the chapter. Two main things I want you to take away. I want you to think about life insurance now as protecting your income. $2.5 million is what they said I was going to earn. If I don't make it home, right, I haven't 
built up now my financial assets in this graph. The blue is the financial assets. My my the the, the uh, oranges is what my, my my potential, my knowledge assets, what I bring to the table. But but as this young man here who's now you know with, with his wife and baby on the way, if he doesn't make it home because of COVID nineteen, will that two point five million dollars be guaranteed? Right, we got to think for the long haul. Right. And so the, I believe for the cost effectiveness and the agents on the line can tell you the case here is for term insurance to protect your income. Right. Next, I want to talk about our future inheritance. Two missing pieces, I think, for the black community. You, 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 I think it's a disservice when folks keep saying buy term and invest the difference because we typically don't invest the difference. But we're most scared of, of the stock market out of everybody. We're not going to invest the difference to make the same returns. We can talk about it all day, but it doesn't happen. Right. So so a thing that's guarantees an inheritance, guaranteed policy for your entire life is a permanent policy. Right. This can ensure the gifts to your heirs, to donations to organizations. This is, again, what other folks are doing around us. And I'm happy to see the conversations are starting to go here now. Right. We're just not living in the moment. Instant gratification. Jay-Z in his uh, album 444 talked about legacy. Right. What was the first line in the in, in the in the uh, in the song? Daddy, what's a will? Right, so he's starting to talk about what he's putting in place for his children and his children's children. The, the case here is for permanent insurance. I'll leave this chapter with an example. I just want to keep talking theory and, and or with this term or, or permanent or, or whole life. Because everybody, here's an example of somebody who had insurance in place for when it was needed. Remember the brother Nipsey Hussle was shot two years ago. It was March 2019. There was so many articles for so many months about who did it and why. And they talked about his businesses and his music and his community activism. You know, during that time, I only saw two articles that mentioned that Nipsey Hussle actually have several million dollar life insurance policies in place. And from those policies, it provided for the family's futures, their, their education, their retirement, the business continuation. Beginning of 2020, the artist, couple articles came out that his partner, Lauren London now, had just closed on a home she purchased in LA for $1.7 million. The sneaker brand Puma were gonna continue supporting and, and, and promoting his clothing line, Hustle and Flow. And so my question was, if he had left them broke without any sort of way of, of, of setting up a path for them, if he was, if they were, like usually they, you see, uh, GoFundMe accounts created, or they were passing place or begging the record company to, to take care of them, would these deals have been able to happen for Lauren London? Not to say she wasn't you know, successful in her own right. I'm sure that all helped. And I'm sure that his children will do better in life knowing that he set them up to be better. You guys get where I'm going with this one? Give me some nods. All right. So my point here is he didn't rely on anyone else and he didn't leave it to chance. It didn't matter if it was term or permanent. He had enough insurance to make sure that his family was going to be set up. I'm going to skip down to rule number six. Rich people plan for three generations and poor people plan for Saturday night. Holy cow. I'm just saying, let's think about working smarter as well as harder. See, my parents, you know, we just got to work hard. Keep, keep at it. Keep going. I'm saying it's time to work smarter as well as harder. Let's understand what other folks are doing about planning across three generations and especially protection through wills and trusts. How many times have I seen property get lost here in Brooklyn, right? Those million dollar brownstones because there wasn't a will. 
They did a lot. They, there was a back taxes. It was taken away you know, from under folks because they hadn't set it up properly. Quote here from Michelle Obama. We have the responsibility to live up to the legacy of those gone before us by doing all that we can to help those who will come after us. So the example I want to give here, I went back to some of the agents in that group that I sat in, said, you know, so what else is going on around me that maybe I'm, I'm missing? To which they said, you know, there are a couple of the Jewish families around you there in, in Brooklyn who will take out a million dollars of life insurance on the two oldest in the family. And in that family of 20, the 18 others will make the payments on it. I said, say what? Look, give, give, give me that again. They, they said, well, see, hold on. So the two oldest in the family of 20, the 18 others will take out a million dollar policy and make the payments on it. So this was just a, 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 a smart use of a financial asset, guaranteed financial asset. Because I don't know if I said it along the way, what, what's one thing that's guaranteed about life insurance? You're going to die at some point. We don't get out of life alive. So why not set up and plan for when it's going to happen? Right? And, and for them, it wasn't about profiting off the death of grandma and grandpa. It was about holding them up as the matriarch and the patriarch. Because from that $2 million, the children would get the down payments for their homes. The, the grandchildren would get their college education paid for. They would all have startup capital for their own businesses. So when you look at those two, three, four million dollar brownstones in Brooklyn, and we say, well, how do people get 20% down? They're getting in this kind of way. We're still thinking about what, we're going to work and save 20% down on a two million dollar brownstone? How's that working for you? I'm saying, do you understand the, the ways other folks are doing this? Coming together to leverage these kind of tools. So what I call it is them pooling resources to fund their own inheritance. Somebody loving this concept. Me and my sister, we, we went to our parents and we said, you know what, we want to do the same thing with y'all. So you can imagine that didn't go over so well in the black family, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden they stopped returning the phone calls. They started putting the extra locks on the doors. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but it did take a long time for them to be open to hearing where I was going. Me and my sister are doing okay for ourselves in life, right? What we said we like to do is, is set up your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren in a way that they will remember you, right? This will be your legacy. So we said, they, they said, well, we like that. And like the Jewish family, you all pay for it then, right? So what we did, we took out a half-million-dollar policy. And, it, and it's a second-to-die policy, meaning they both have to pass before we get the money. That way it makes it more cost-efficient. It's cheaper to do it that way. So both of them have to pass before we get $2.5 million, but it costs us $300 a month. Me and my sister split it. That's $150 each. What else in America can you spend $150 to get a guaranteed half million dollars at some point in the future? Half million dollars tax-free because life insurance passes tax-free. Do you understand the value of, and the possibilities when you think of using these tools this way? That's what I believe we've been missing in the black community. I would only say we've not been taught. My wife says, well, who's supposed to teach you? Well, y'all need to figure it out. So, so here it is. I'm telling y'all so that you all don't have to figure it out. And now you have been told it's on us to do it. You guys get where I'm going with this? In the book I talk about, what well, I have now set up for my children. There's me in the middle, parents in the top, sister, and then the grandchildren. I've done some things to set up my children the same way these other folks have been doing. I'll give you a, you know, I won't give it all away. This is some, some reason for you to get the book, right? So I'm going to end here on rule number seven. Because I believe, you know, what I said, these are things that we can do for ourselves, things that we can do for our family. There's also things that we can do together 
for our community. And that, that, that uh, so seven is a rising tide lifts all boats. I say a collaboration of leaders and determined believers within our community are the ones who are going to bring individual, who bring their individual strengths, talents, and abilities will ensure sustainable change. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the 50B, that this campaign that I put together, and how I believe that can be a feeder or, or, or a, a resource for aligning with other movements that are going on in silos that, that we can really create change with. The African proverb I put here is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So let me jump in. I mentioned this 50B, 200,000 families out of 43 million with at least $250,000 will create $50 billion of tax-free future income. We can understand the benefits here for, you know, the protection for families, the savings they get to build, the wealth building aspect, the tax advantage. I didn't even talk about the tax advantages of life insurance. Your agents can do that, but there's so many benefits to it. But I also want to think about the 50 billion. Think about 50 billion when it gets paid out. This is one company, one campaign with 1500 agents. I think the possibilities are so much bigger, right? We could do this across the industry. Cycling $50 billion into black owned businesses. You talk about helping them to be successful. Depositing 50 billion into black owned banks. Come on now. How about 50 billion being tithed into churches, put into to charitable giving and created into the endowments. This is the true potential now. Not waiting for the reparations check solely. This is what we can do for ourselves with what we have. Do you understand where I'm going? I see it as a possible triumph in the tragedy of what we've been experiencing with COVID-19. This website, covidtracking.com, said that the, 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 since the beginning of the pandemic, 480,000 people have passed away, 68,000 of those were black lives. I wonder if those 68,000, how many of those families were set up versus being set back? If they had been part of that $50 billion campaign, 68,000 people with $250,000 if life insurance would have created $17 billion of checks being paid out to their families from these life insurance companies in one year. Think about the difference that would have made. But here's what actually happened, right? This is from Wall Street Journal, I think three months ago. Those dying from COVID-19 are least likely to own life insurance. Charles said, Limer says, oh, we're interested. We may be you know, considering buying because of COVID-19, but here's the facts. The companies have made sharp reductions on their estimates of their exposure because those dying weren't, didn't own it. That is on us. We can change that. I, I think the life insurance industry has, has flown under the radar in the way of supporting black agents and agencies to be success and in, in empowering the black communities with these power, powerful tools to create wealth for themselves. Let's not let them off the hook. Let's take out the policies. There's nothing stopping you in this day and age from owning a life insurance policy. I believe it's an ability, gives you the ability to leapfrog, right? A lump sum of infusion in cash is what we're talking about. When grandma passes, when I pass away, when my children, the generations of the Mitchell family will be set up differently because they will receive lump sum infusions of cash. Think about if you would have received $50,000 at some point in your life. How different of a path of life would you have had? $250,000, a half million dollars. That is commonplace in other communities. They plan for this. We have still not gotten there yet. I believe this is a way that we can close the wealth gap in one generation, right? Move our children and our grandchildren to the next level. 
depending on what study you say, you look at the, the average wealth, they, they say it's $171,000, the wealth gap between black and white families. I think the medium wealth is like 600,000 plus is the difference between the average black family and the average white family. Whichever it is, if I have a life insurance policy worth that much and I pass away, doesn't that put my children then on par with the average white family around me? This is the possibilities that I see. We can move from the lower, what does it take to move from lower income to middle income? Middle income to upper middle. How do I set my children up to compete and outdo classmates or their college uh, colleagues and, and, their, and their neighbors? This is what I see that, you know, what I'm setting up. And so I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't done for myself. But this is, like I said, what gets me excited. And I believe those lump sums could be now, if we align with some of the other organizations out there, a powerful t- contributor. So, so if I get the, like the, the, the Jewish family, a couple hundred thousand dollars, can I participate in those, the, the homes program for realtors, the National, National Association of Real Estate Brokers, NARAB? Their goal is to get 2 million homes in the black, by, owned by black folks in the next five years. Here's a way to, 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 to feed that, right? The Chambers of Commerce. They say if every black business increased their, their uh, employees by one, we could create a million new jobs. How could we do that? How do you start business? How do you build business? How do you support businesses? I think that what we've been talking about can help that. A big part of, I didn't say that estate planning, we have to not only take out these policies, we have to make sure we have a will and a trust in place to make sure we don't lose those, those homes in Brooklyn and the likes. The estate planning attorneys, the, uh, the Association of Black Estate Planning Professionals, Association of Black Estate Planning Professionals. If you look them up on LinkedIn, they, they go to the website. I'm a board member there. That They've got an event coming up next Friday. That's what we're talking about over there. They're talking about how the majority of churches, only 30% of the folks in the, in the congregation have a will or a trust. We want to increase that number to 70%. How, how can we make sure that we, we, we put those pieces in place? The banks, right? They, they, they're finally getting deposits from some of these big organizations finally, but, but I believe we can help support that as well. So I call this aligning movements, right? Coming together across these different groups that we have in our community. They're all doing great things amongst themselves, but it's time to organize and put this together. So this was my story to you today about what I believe we can do. You know, thinking of it from the positive. We've got all the stats, how far behind we are, how big the wealth gap is, how many years it's gonna to take to catch up. But that, I don't, that's too, for me, that, you know, diminishing and, and damning and, and provides no option. I wanna come from well, what is working? 50 billion was working. I'm saying, let's how, how do we get that to 100 billion? How, how do we come together and, and, and partner with all these other organizations to really put us on track? While at the same time, we fight this whole systemic uh, change piece and, and ensure that you know, we, we continue pushing for, for change amongst the governments, the organizations, and, and industries. So I'm going to ask you, are you going to join the movement with us, right? But doing with what we can for ourselves, our families, and our community. But let's focus on creating financial stability and economic opportunity. I've talked to Charles, we're talking to, to some of these, these other companies out there about the next $100 billion campaign. And as I'm going to say, please get a copy of the book because there's more in store for you to learn from that. So that's my uh, question, my presentation to you there, Charles. I'm open for Q&A. Um, uh, let's go. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Mr. You did it once again. Very inspirational, always challenging us to, to, to do better. I know my team, we, we appreciate you. Uh, 
that last number you put up there was mind blowing. Uh, I always wondered what's the number of the we talk about the you know the African Americans and but uh, for it to be sixty eight thousand four hundred ninety of us that passed away due to COVID, two hundred fifty thousand that's seventeen billion dollars tax free money in the communities. We're talking hospitals, we're talking churches, we're talking grocery stores, we're talking schools, universities, a lot. So with that said, I want to open up the, I'm going to open up the, uh, uh, you can unmute yourself um, and we'll open it up uh, for some questions. You can unmute yourself if you have any questions. Uh, Eugene, I'm David Kinder. First of all, fantastic presentation. I loved it. And yes, you engaged me as though I was eight years old. I paid, paid full attention. Appreciate <laughs> all that. Right. Perfect. So for the whole 45 minutes. How about that? Holy hey, you, you did good. Real good. Uh, and I want to thank Alonzo for inviting me. Uh, Alonzo and I, we've had a lot of different conversations on these kinds of topics. Um, I am aware of a lot of these things for the black community. Obviously, I grew up in a very different way. Um, just from the lack of melanin content in my skin, you can tell that. And I am aware of that. Hey, let's put it this way. I'm part of the LDS Mormon community, too. Let's add that into the mix. But I was part of the African-American outreach program for that. Here's the thing. I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, how can I be helpful considering my lack of melanin? And I can't think that this message would be best presented by me to the african-american community i don't think that's going to work so well um I, and i know that uh uh what was his name? uh dr nichols of the american college one thing he's pointed out is that we don't have enough black advisors and obviously they're trying to reach out to get more people uh, educated and involved with the american college basically my question to you is what's your opinion how can i be best part of the solution great thank you david thank you for your feedback um, you know, and, and I should have uh, been, been more open. I had another slide last night about working with allies who want to participate in this. And then I took it out. For, to, to, uh, thank you. I got to keep it in at all times. Okay. <laughs> so I proposed four things from there. And, and it's actually from um, the Mass Mutuals, uh, uh, talking to some of the folks in, in corporate. I like the a framework that they put out for, for uh, how they're trying to engage. The first, they, they talked about equity. For, for, there's four uh, ideas. First was equity and an opportunity from, from the corporate standpoint. Equity and opportunity. So when you think about job opportunities, you think about mentoring, you, and you think about pipelines, when you think about you know, advocating for, for, for people to move up, I, I say supporting black agents and advisors to be successful. So we, we, I agree with George, we need more in the industry, but, but I've seen thousands come and go because they've not supported to be successful. What can we do to help make sure that they, they get what they need? That'll be one. The second one was equitable justice. You think about these CEO messages, right? Some of these zero tolerance measures, some of the leadership training for, for those, um, for the, the folks who've been there for, for a long time in these powerful positions. It was um, Guy Carpenter speaking at yesterday. They, they said they have a Black History Month program uh, and I called it Walk in My Shoes. So that they've got some of the senior executives Take, taking time to talk about, share with me what your shoes look like. Let, let me help uh, walk a few days in your shoes. Wow, I think that's the kind of things that we can help advocate, you know, for, for other folks to do. So not only just, you know, telling the story to black folks, but what can we do with the power networks that we have? The third was economic empowerment. And I think of that in the way of community and uh, outreach and reinvestment, right? So, so the billions that we manage in retirement funds, 
how, how much of that is going to black fund managers? Aerial capital management, one of the largest. Melody Hobson's on TV all the time. How many? Uh, how much of the, our retirement funds are, are managed by them, right? How much of our deposits go into black-owned banks? Uh, how much are we reinvesting from, from our investment funds to support black-owned entrepreneurs? I think those are some of the things that we could do. There was a woman on the line yesterday. She talked about what I feel I could do is maybe seek out and look to support black-owned businesses. I'm like, wow, that's powerful in itself. You know, be it, be it a restaurant, be it a dry cleaner, be it, you know, a doctor, lawyer. I mean, just how do we support one another who are in that profession? Seek out black insurance agents. And then lastly, it was the education and financial literacy. And, and, and for me, that's, you know, how do we get in front of these community organizations? How do we so even, so even support those who, do, who are doing this? So, so if it's Alonzo, if he's got an event coming up, you know, can you support him in that event? You know, is it giving him resource, giving him you know support, giving him encouragement, giving him ideas on how to market himself? So I think those are some of the things that I think beyond just you know you having to be the face in the in the community because you know I think that, that opens up all the other you know who do I trust and where does it come from and who's this guy? But but all of these are other things that you could do and assist in if, if that helps answer a long answer to your question there, but. But, but hopefully that, you know, we can be all inspired how we can get other allies to be a part of this as well. So, appreciate it. Anybody else have a question? Great, Dean. <clears throat> this is Barbara Pennell. How are you? Great. How are you, Barbara? Hi. Um, I loved your presentation. I'm on the side of uh, agreeing with you with supporting other businesses. I do uh, advising on business uh, financing for startups and, and existing businesses. And I really have a tough time conv convincing uh, our folks uh, in investing in themselves. You know, they want that instant gratification. Uh, they don't want to look long-term. They want to look at right now. So I would love to, you know, follow up with you after uh, today uh, to see if, you know, I can get some support and coordinate, uh, you know, with with you, uh, with what you're doing on the insurance side of things. I've worked with Charles before, so he's familiar with what I do. But yes, um, you know, that's the hardest part for me is seeing that our folks are, are left behind due to, you know, their mindset and how they view, you know, living in the moment and right now, as opposed to you know, thinking ahead and for the future and planning for the future in better ways. Awesome. I look forward to it. Pardon? Thank you for your, your comments. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So we have time for one more, one or two more questions. We'll I have a comment. Eugene, it's not a question, it's more a comment. It's just, this is so inspiring. Like I said before, I wish I had this knowledge when I was 20 but that's changing now. Um, you're inspiring me to do this for the Latino community. So thank you. Awesome, thank you. We're all in it together. We've got work to do. But it's a career with a greater purpose. That, that's why I want to think about what we do. All right. Any more questions? Right. One more questions? One, more One question. last question. So as an advisor myself, um, and someone who likes to work with uh, younger uh, generations, um, there is the challenge of, of teaching this to the youth. Is there a way that, um, you know, like 
unlike things like the new trends that are sexy, how can we make something that is guaranteed sexy? Because when I talk to people and I sit down and do it, it's boring. And, you know, and I don't want to hear this anymore. It's boring. But as soon as I say, hey, you can make $10 bazillion in Bitcoin, they're, you know, they're lined up around the corner. That's right. It's a great question, Alonzo. And, and part of this, I'm going to spin back to you as well. That, that's why I put in that, that Nipsey Hustle story. Because I think some of the examples, some of the, the old way of telling this is old and boring. You know, can, can we make it more relatable? Yeah, can, can we say it in a way that they're used to seeing it now? Do I, do I need to do a TikTok on this? I mean, I, what, what do I need to do to get, you know, in a shortened time span, you know, the, the way that they receive it and the way that they'll take and pay attention to it? So, so I think you're more connected. We, we, we talked about you've got more youth than I do. I, I, I'd ask that, you know, we work together and brainstorming on how we can tell this and, and say it in a way that they can uh, connect with. All right, bro? <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay. Great Okay, great, Jess. So I definitely want to thank, I want to wrap this up. I definitely want to uh, thank you, uh, Eugene Mitchell, for that uh, excellent uh, presentation, always inspiring. I want to thank everyone for taking their time out to, uh, to join us uh, during your, your, your hour, uh, lunch break. Uh, just remember, on Monday, the 22nd, I will be having a drawing. Uh, we have uh, uh, 10 free books, Mr. Mitchell's books, uh, to give away uh, to the people that's on the call. So we'll we'll have the drawing on Monday. Uh, and if you're a winner, we will reach out to you and, and uh, ask for your mailing address so we can actually uh, uh, get, you, get you the book. That's one of our, that's our way of saying uh, a thank you. Uh, so I want to thank everyone. Uh, continue to stay safe. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this edition of the, uh, of the Brunch and Wealth, the Black History Month version. And and we look forward to for seeing everyone at our next event. All right. So thanks everyone and have a have a great day. Take care, everyone. All right.